0: Hey, everybody, and welcome in to another episode of the I on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined, as always, by my colleague Dave Matter from the Columbia Bureau, here to break down another week in Missouri athletics, a football-heavy week on the podcast as the Missouri Tigers are now on a winning streak, the first winning streak of Eli Drinkwitz's career, another win over another opponent that was favored to beat Missouri at home. Um, Missouri now 2-2 two and two after taking down the Wildcats, of Kentucky, snapping the five-year losing streak. We'll get into that today. We're going to look ahead to this game against Florida on Saturday, as the Gators are in a bit of a crunch due to the COVID um, complications. They're trying to ease their way back. Um, Will that game hold all that? We'll get into that with Dave and a little bit of talk about the SEC as a whole. Dave, how's it going in Como?
1: It's good. It's good. We've got a game to cover this week that hasn't been canceled or postponed yet as of Wednesday when we're recording this. So uh, I'm I'm making the trip to Gainesville. So hopefully I won't have to cancel anything last minute.
0: The uh, I want to get into the Gators and kind of what we should expect out of this Florida team that was picked by many to win the SEC East before their season was kind of shut down by COVID. And now they're, we're wondering what kind of a team is going to come back out of that. We'll, we'll dig into that in the second half of the The podcast but first let's let's get your thoughts kind of your first impressions now that you've had some time to to let it settle about what that win against Kentucky was all about it was really impressive to me considering the streak I mean five years without beating that team and also the way in which Missouri went about it we saw them the Tigers go through the air against LSU and kind of a complete opposite game plan against Kentucky they put it on the ground and really kind of took Kentucky's playbook out from underneath them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I was really impressed with how they won. Um, they went into it saying, Hey, we don't have to be the team we were against LSU. There's still a winning formula to play a different way, which, which tells me a couple things. One, Eli Drinkwitz is a pretty good offensive coach. Um, for one, you can kind of put the ego aside and say, we don't have to, you know, light up the scoreboard or throw for 400 yards. Um, you know, do all the things that people love to see. Uh, we, we, this team can win smart, um, protecting the ball, moving the chains, be more methodical. And number two, it also tells me that maybe this team's better offensively than we gave it credit for. If you can if you can win both ways against decent competition, and back-to-back and – they weren't back-to-back weeks, but they were back-to-back games. Um, it, it takes something to be able to pull that off. So many coaches are just limited by their personnel and what they can do, but Drinkwitz has enough – especially along that offensive line that no one really expected to be able to win both styles in both ways. So the score, they should have had more points than they did. You know, they stalled a couple of times in the red zone, but the defense absolutely gave them the chance to win that game. Uh, the way that it played, it was barely on the field. I mean, those guys barely broke a sweat, 36 plays. Larry Rountree had more carries, which is one of the more amazing stats in a game that I've covered that one team's running back. Had more carries than the other team had snaps. I mean, yet I don't know if I've ever seen that before. the The time of possession. I mean, we I went back looking at box scores from thirty years and can't find a game where Missouri and because the, they didn't record that in a lot of the box scores you can find, but had the ball forty three minutes. I mean, that's that's hard to do. It's hard to be that bad defensively if you're or offensively if you're Kentucky, and then just to not get a turnover, which is what they live on defensively. Um, it really good game for Missouri. They deserve a lot of credit for that.
0: Connor Bazelak was, did exactly what he needed to do. The young quarterback, he didn't need to throw it all over the place. They were aware of the Kentucky, um, prolific interceptions that had turned a lot of games for the Wildcats. So they said, okay, you know, we're, we're going to be safe in the passing game, but in order to do that, they had to be able to rely on the run. Larry Roundtree, Dave, he's going to go down as one of the most prolific rushers in Missouri football history. He's not going to be the guy who's remembered for the highlight reel, but he's been around. He's been consistent. He's been tougher than nails. He doesn't miss games. He doesn't get get hurt. He plays. And this game was really about him, I think, putting the team on his shoulders and saying, whatever you need me to do, I'll do. Um, Over his career, he's averaged five yards a carry. Um, You know, that's two... I'm not good at math, but that's a first down if you give him the ball twice on average. I mean, he's going to be remembered for probably under under underappreciated, I think, when when his name comes up in the Mizzou history books. But he's going to have some numbers by the time this thing's over that are pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's he's 54 yards away from tying Zach Abron for number two on Missouri's list. And really, it's kind of like number one, because that's that's running backs only. Uh, Brad Smith is number one he's got a huge cushion as the all-time leading rusher but that was as a quarterback he touched the ball every snap um, so not to take anything away from Brad but uh, when we're talking about strictly running backs you know by the time we record our next podcast Larry Rountree very well be very will very very good chance that he's passing Abram and is number one all time for Missouri running backs and like I, and I, I wrote about them both today and I, I think their careers are kind of similar because. Abram wasn't super celebrated either. I mean, I, I remember you know, people still misspell his name, <laughs> Z-A-C-K, and it's people still give him an H. Even Mizzou in the media guide one year had, a, had it as an H. Um, and he played with Brad Smith for his junior and senior year, so Brad got all the attention, and deservedly so. He's a great player. He was such a unique player. And Zach, they would just give him the ball 20 times a game, and more often than not, he'd have 100 yards by the end of the game. And he, he left Missouri's all-time leading rusher, all-time touchdown leader, Brad Smith broke both records, but, um, kind of similar, not super flashy. He doesn't make a lot of guys miss in the open field. He gets that, he makes that one cut and gets up field and he'll take a guy out if he has to just a really, really solid, good running back. And, and the, another thing that's similar to, to, uh, to Abron has just been super durable. You can count on him every week. Uh, he's that's not to say he hasn't had injuries, but he hasn't had enough to keep him out of the lineup. Um, you know, since he was a freshman and he's, he's shared the ball a lot too. I mean, you know, when he first came in, he was sharing it with Demaria Crockett and then came Tyler Beatty and drink what's said, even this week, he's like, as great as Larry has been, I need to get more carries for, for Beatty because they're a better combo when they're both touching the ball. So I think you'll see that maybe going forward, but yeah, a great game for Larry, not his best statistical game, um, but he just, he delivered every time they, they handed him the ball.
0: Yeah. Beatty's really, really found traction in that, passing game I mean yeah. he's one of their top receivers kind of using him as the running game through the air and we are seeing some some good signs out of some of the receivers as well I think really like what Jalen Knox is doing this season yeah. um, you know they Kiki Chisholm remains a bit of a, a mystery um, at, at this point but they're getting the other graduate transfer involved which is which is better than we saw group. Yeah, yeah Hazelton's getting more more involved and I've been impressed by 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 the tight ends I think Daniel Parker Jr. doesn't have the receiving stats, but he's been good in the in the blocking game, and, and he certainly helped that rushing attack. And then Nico Hay has been impressive, and he's yeah. maybe going to be more of a dynamic pass catcher than, than Parker. So we're kind of seeing – that's one of the interesting things about Bayslake is he's not a one-receiver guy. No. He's willing to spread the ball around, and I think that keeps guys engaged, and, and that's a good thing to have a quarterback who can, who can spread the love. But I think the story of this game, other than Roundtree – putting the team on his back had to have been the defense, right? I mean, it seemed like every time there was then those moments where you go, okay, this could turn into another one of those Kentucky landslides, where those were never blowout wins that the Wildcats had over Missouri over the past five years. Most of them were eight points or fewer. Some of them came down to the final possession. They were just, there were little moments where the game would turn. It would be a call that went against Missouri or just a silly mistake. And then it was like the avalanche happened. And every time that, moment could have happened on Saturday, the defense answered. After Missouri had the long drive that resulted in no points, the defense forced a three and out to get the ball back. Missouri scores on the next possession. After the Kentucky, you know, Terry Wilson, who couldn't throw the ball more than five yards, there was a beautiful 26-yard touchdown pass. And you go, okay, maybe he's going to find his rhythm. After that, Kentucky gets the ball back, and Missouri forces a three and out on defense. They just seem to have the answer all the way up into the end of the game, where for the second game in a row, Joshua Bloodsome makes a great, uh, outstanding individual play to really seal the game. It seemed like the defense against LSU, it got lucky because it had a great goal right. line that overshadowed a bad, kind of a pretty much a bad game. I mean, at least in terms of total yards, they were good on third downs. But this was more about the defense kind of carrying the freight um, for the offense, it felt like. Yeah,
1: LSU was four good plays. This was four good quarters. I mean, they, yeah. Um, and not to say that Kentucky is a, you know, dynamic offensive team, but they just put up some points at Tennessee and we've seen them get in a groove and they can um, passing game kind of plays off of the run game and they just couldn't get anything going Mark Stoops. It's interesting. He has since said that Terry Wilson got hurt in that game and he's kind of iffy for this week, but he was, he was rotating him in and out of there with Gatewood the Auburn transfer. Neither of them got anything done. I mean, Wilson was not a running threat he usually is. Uh, the other backs just didn't do much at all. They never really got going. That's a great offensive line from Kentucky, and I thought if anything, Missouri—I don't know if they dominated them, but they didn't let them do what they normally do. They just couldn't get anything going. Missouri again, really good on third down. Uh, I think I think that's a group that just continues to. We talk about confidence before, and it's hard to measure, but they seem like a confident bunch, uh, and especially when Wilson throws the touchdown, and you think right then, uh-oh, this defense is going to buckle now. Uh, they're going to make some mistakes. They come right back out. I, did it, they even get a, a yard after that? I'm not sure they did. They had a three and out, and yeah. then they had the the fumble. I mean, they didn't. They literally didn't move the ball after that. And you ask the Missouri guys, some of them that were on the Zoom, you ask them about that, they were just like, yeah, whatever. We we won mistake, and then we bounced right back. So a, a pretty confident group at that secondary, Gillespie and Blood. So Martez Manuel really playing well. Defensive line is – no superstars up there, but they're doing their job. And Nick Bolton is, um, you know, he's not, he didn't get a chance to rack up the tackles in that game because he wasn't on the field long enough. But, man, he is, he's really special. I mean, he reminds me a lot of, of Sean Weatherspoon. Yeah, I was going to say, defense. yeah. That, that's a bold statement because Sean was a three-time, first-team, all-Big 12 uh, player. And who um, probably could have gone to the NFL early, but he stuck around for a senior year. I don't know if, if Bolton's going to do the same. But, uh,
0: man, he's, he's a really special guy out there. Yeah, you're right. He does make Spoon-like plays. Yeah. Um, it seems like if there's a third down and all of a sudden there's someone breathing down the quarterback's neck, it's him. <laughs> yeah. or, or that hit out of bounds. Uh, not out of bounds, but headed out of bounds, yeah, out of bounds um, yeah. on that on that stop. And that game was huge. I mean, he just comes up. He's got a knack for the big moments, as, of course, we saw Spoon do for, for years and years. Um, let's kind of shift gears to Florida a little bit, Dave, because – I think both of us, if we would have picked this game weeks ago, we would have said, okay, Florida's going to be a heavyweight favorite, and it would be shocking if Missouri wins. Now, and I haven't checked the line yet, but Florida is coming back after close to, I think, 10 or 12 days of no football activities, about two weeks of not being able yeah. to practice um, due to their COVID pause. Um, we don't know, as of right now, who will be available and who won't be. Um, Florida coach Dan Mullen has sounded confident that they're going to have at least the minimum amount of players available to play the game. Florida is testing daily. That could change by the time we're recording this on Wednesday. So there's, you just won't know until Saturday if the game's going to be held or not. Uh, It's a surreal world that we're, we're in right now, but it does not seem like Florida is entering this game with nearly the momentum that it had when everyone was picking them to win the SEC East. Meanwhile, Missouri goes, Hey, We've been underdogs the past two weeks at our own field, and we've won. Why can't we go and, and beat Florida? I, I think Missouri has got to be the team with the momentum entering this game. Maybe not the most talented team, but that might depend on which Florida players are on the field.
1: Yeah, we don't know. It's just such a mystery, and Mullen is not showing his cards at all, and, and Drinkwitz has noticed that for sure, and he's trying to play the same game now, although Missouri doesn't have COVID issues as, as of taping this on Wednesday that we know of. Uh, so it's a mystery. I mean, they haven't played in so long. You expect them to be a little rusty. I mean, they are like a precision passing team and not practicing for two weeks. You got to think that throws that off to some degree. At the same time, we all thought that about, remember the Tennessee Titans and they came out and just like blindsided Buffalo a couple weeks ago. And we, everyone thought, oh, they're going to be rusty. They haven't practiced, they've had all these guys out. Sometimes you just don't know. And, uh, you know, we, we also, we don't know, we know who's going to be available. I mean, yeah. what if Kyle Trask is their standout quarterback who still leads the SEC in passing efficiency and, and passing touchdowns and he hasn't played it. It's only played three games uh, or they're, they're tied in Kyle Pitts, who's probably the best in the country. Um, if it's that side of the ball, you know, that, that equal that's an equalizer to some degree, if it's our defense, that makes what's kind of been a weak defense, you know, not nearly as good as it has been. It hasn't been very good. They gave up a ton of yards to Ole Miss in South Carolina. Um, and then they lost uh, on a late field goal at Texas A&M. So that's been the weakness of this team on the defensive side. So if I'm Missouri, I expect to. This will be more like the LSU game, I think, you know, up and down with more high scoring uh, just based on the two teams and kind of their strengths and weaknesses. But man, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really hard to get a handle on, what to expect, and that's kind of been the case for every Missouri game this year because they've, 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 uh, you know, Tennessee. I think most of us thought they'd go there and, and have a better showing than they did, and then, you know, they beat LSU when no one really expected it, and then the way they won against Kentucky was
0: probably outside of everyone's expectations. I think this Missouri football team beats Tennessee if that game is played this yeah. Saturday. Yeah, um, and that's kind of the the trend line, right? I mean, te- certain teams have have better starts and fall apart a little bit, take steps back. And other teams kind of take one step forward as the season progresses. And Missouri seems to be on the right side of of that dividing line. And it it makes me want to ask you a question. I mean, we saw the huge start for Mississippi state with Mike Leach and and that was a big deal. And everybody was celebrating him. Certainly, certainly the Ole Miss office is impressive, but it's as impressive as the defense is, is bad. Um, You know, there were three first-year coaches entering this conference. Four, yeah. Sam Pittman, right. don't forget Sam. Sorry, correct. Okay, yeah, great point. The, the two that were least celebrated, Sam Pittman and Eli Drinkwitz, if you, took the, if you read the poll the room right now, they might be ahead of, of, of Lane Kiffin and, and Mike Leach, considering Kiffin's defense yeah, doesn't have, seem to have any answers for it, at least not yet. And meanwhile, Mike Leach is losing players left and right who are clashing yeah. with his leadership style. How about the underdogs in, in Pittman and uh, Eli Drinkwitz here through four games? Yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's they've both been impressive. You know, Arkansas is coming off a bye, but they've got a huge opportunity. They go to Texas A&M this week. And they can uh, – I, I don't think anybody should be shocked if they play well there. And Barry Odom has got this defense playing well. Uh, Kendall Bryles is running the offense. It's It looks like a different team. I mean, Chad Moore, th- they were trending the wrong direction under Brett Bielema. And then Chad Morris just—he <laughs> took them like to the <laughs> super express highway to into the ditch. I mean, man, man they were that was
0: so bad. I gotta they, say, I gotta say, the Sam Pittman emergence is oh, looking worse for Chad Morris. Oh, absolutely. And
1: then you know, uh, and and not you know, Missouri's program wasn't nearly as bad a shape as Arkansas was under under Odom. No, but Drinkwitz has has revived this offense. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, you know they they have they're getting more out of players there's no doubt on the offensive side um, and then defensively I think they're just building on what they were doing last year and Ryan Walters has that group playing pretty well so yeah I, I think those two staffs have, have deserved a lot of credit for what they've done so far Mike Leach just listening to him on the uh, SEC call today man it's it's hard to believe that what like four weeks ago we were talking about how oh here he comes he's invaded the SEC the air raid's going to take over and man, they've just been terrible since then. They've lost a ton of players. Uh, there's just they don't. They're, they're and now they go to Alabama this
0: week, so it's just going to get worse. It makes me uh, leads us into our weekly question here, Dave. And I'm curious. Um, there's more SEC games on the slate now. We ask you to pick the most interesting SEC game of the week every week, and there's there's six to choose from. You got Georgia at Kentucky, LSU at Auburn, Ole Miss at Vanderbilt. You mentioned the Bulldogs at Alabama and also Arkansas at A&M. And then, of course, there's Missouri at Florida. Dave, I'm curious with the SEC East implications and not knowing what Florida will look like. I think Missouri might be playing in the most interesting conference game of the week on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, Missouri has got a real strong chance to – we've we've wondered, okay, who's going to be the head of the middle class in the SEC East? Because you got Georgia and Florida right there at the top. And they both still have one loss. So that the Georgia, Florida game looms large. I mean, the winner of that's in the driver's seat and that game's next week, but who wants to be third and no one aims for being third, but it's important in this division, I think. And Missouri's got a great chance to be that they've already beaten Kentucky. Uh, Tennessee is on just a downward spiral. They've been outscored by 81 points the last three games since Mm -hmm. beating Missouri, Um, South Carolina, they lost some steam last week. They just got crushed by LSU. And then, then you've got Vanderbilt. So, I think, yeah, it's an interesting game. I think LSU at Auburn is interesting too. I mean, LSU, they came, they made a statement last week and just shutting down South Carolina and basically say, Hey, don't forget about us. It, it was a nice recovery win for Ed Orgeron and that team. Auburn, again, they just keep living dangerously and they've won a couple games now against Arkansas and Ole Miss that they got some really fortunate <laughs> officiating and uh, it went their way, but man, they are, they're so close to being like what one in four, one in three. And, I don't think they're ranked anymore. They shouldn't be. They're not very good, but they're just doing just enough to survive some of these games.
0: That's, uh, that's the SEC pick. Any thoughts on the Big Ten, Dave? We kind of called it, unfortunately, that it was going to be a mess considering they gave yeah. themselves no room for COVID to interrupt. And already we've got a Wisconsin-Nebraska game canceled because of yeah. Wisconsin having to pause team activities. I hope it's the last time this happens, but I don't think it will be.
1: No, I don't think so either. And really unfortunate for Wisconsin, they looked so good last week and just crushing Illinois, and their quarterback is now out, Graham Mertz. Um, And and the thing is, here's this rule that people may not have known about. It's 21 days if you get a positive test in the the Big Ten. I mean, in the SEC, it's, what, 10 days, 14 days if you're a close contact, 24 hours if you're Nick Saban.
0: Um, So... (laughs) so, hey, hey, coronavirus didn't, Nick Saban didn't get coronavirus. Coronavirus got Nick Saban. That's right. Remember that's right. That.
1: Not only uh, Graham Merch, but Paul Christ, Wisconsin's coach, uh, tested positive too. So, and that game's not postponed, it's canceled. There's no, there's no room to make it up. That's the way they set this thing up. And then a double dose of bad news for the Big Ten Penn State loses last week to Indiana. And now you're looking at, and it's, it's way too early to say Ohio State is the only hope because Michigan looked really good in beating Minnesota. Um, but these conferences, you want, they want to get multiple teams in the playoffs. And when you, when one of your big dogs loses early, like Penn state did, I, I guess, Indiana, you can throw them in now say maybe they're a contender, but chances are they won't be. Um, it's, it's not good. It's kind of like what the SEC faces with having only one unbeaten, unbeaten team right now in Alabama. You, you The last thing they want to do is open the door to one of these, uh, group of five teams like Cincinnati or BYU or, um, a Notre Dame team that's probably going to have a loss against Clemson. So, uh, yeah, it hasn't been a great opening for the Big Ten.
0: Rough start. We'll see if they can kind of uh, pull it together like some of these other leagues have, that they kind of figure things out as they've gone along. Or they'll get to the – maybe maybe a big team. The Big Ten team will get to the national championship, have a player test positive and send them out on the field – but no, my, oh wait, no, that was the World Series. That was a Dodgers. Um, shout out to uh, Justin Turner, who becomes the most boneheaded COVID athlete since uh, Rudy Gobert. So, passing of the torch there for uh, for uh, for that, and hopefully people can learn to be a little bit uh, a little bit smarter. Dave, safe travels to Florida, man. Um, stay safe, stay healthy, get there and back in one piece and hopefully you'll cover a pretty good football game as long as everything goes according to plan. For Dave, I'm Ben. We will talk to you next time and remind you that you can find our podcast at stltoday.com slash podcast or on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast needs. Check it out, download, subscribe, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing, and have a great week, everybody. Talk to you soon.